Hi, it's Susan, and I'm an expert in helping musicians to have better relationships with themselves and with the world. In this episode, we meet Anna McDougall, soprano and software developer, and she shares how a break from performing meant a career rethink, and how the key to going forward was to look back at all the things she loved doing before she invested fully in her music career. Enjoy. Welcome to today's episode of Change Your Tune podcast. I'm your host, Susan Eldridge, and I'm absolutely delighted to be joined by junior software engineer, Anna McDougall. Anna, good morning to you. (laughs) Good morning. How are you today? Good, thanks. I'm in Melbourne, Australia, Anna. Where are you today? Uh, I live in Leipzig in Germany, so I moved here five and a half years ago, actually. So it's been a while, but I come from Sydney originally. From the uh, sunny beaches of Sydney. Um, And can you tell me, tell us a bit more about what you do as a junior software engineer at a consulting firm? Yeah, so uh, as a junior software engineer, basically my job is to create software. So someone comes to my company and says, we want to create a piece of software that I don't know, um, inventories all our tools for all our workers, and we need that to be created in XYZ timeframe. We provide them with some sort of budget, some sort of outline of what we would plan to do with that software and how we would implement it. And part of my job as a junior software engineer is to write the actual code behind that. Uh, Additionally, I also am in training to be what's called a technical lead, which involves also managing the team and training up new software engineers as well. So yeah, quite quite a varied thing actually. It's not just coding. Um, but a lot of programming involved. Fantastic. All centred around solving problems for other people. Um, <laughs> yes. So you just said at the end there that you're in training to do, as to sort of move to a different a different role within the organisation. But speaking about training, you weren't originally trained uh, to, solve, to, to write code. No. Uh, and otherwise, it would, it would be an interesting podcast conversation we're having today. Um, <laughs> tell me, what did you do before you were a software engineer? So I've done quite a few things. But the part that probably interests you the most is that uh, I have a master's in music for opera performance. So I trained as an opera singer at the Sydney Conservatorium of Music. And uh, I actually then worked for about a year with Opera Australia in their schools program before moving to Germany to pursue that career, which uh, I did quite successfully. Actually, I managed to get a position in the chorus of Hessen State Theatre and also did some freelance singing in Prague and in the United States as well. So yeah, uh, that's that's where I'm trained. I'm a trained opera singer. So what's the bridge between the two things? <laughs> tell, me, tell me, so you're off singing the world, wearing a strapless taffeta gown, uh, Prague and New York. Oh, Hesson no, Susan, you've got it all wrong. I'm a mezzo. I was wearing pants. Uh- <laughs> oh, sorry. Apologies to all the taffeta-wearing sopranos out there. Uh, so globetrotting the world. Um, uh, had very successfully composed a solution to the portfolio career challenge <laughs> in Germany. Um, where, where, what, what next? What happened? Yeah, so I had been in the chorus full-time for about three years and I became pregnant. And when I became pregnant, that kind of – well, my husband also works as a classical singer. His name is Alexander Knight. He had a, a very – good career in Australia before um, winning the uh, German Australian Opera Award 
in Melbourne, funnily enough, and he was also working at Hessen State Theatre for a while. He then got a position in Leipzig uh, with the MDR Rundfunk Chor, uh, which is one of the oldest choirs, radio choirs in Germany. And so when I became pregnant, I was on contract and he was in a full-time permanent position. So the, you know, the mathematics was pretty easy. <laughs> I moved to Leipzig and in that process, uh, I knew I would have one year of maternity leave that's from the government. Uh, and that meant I could think about whether at the end of that, I wanted to go back to opera or if I wanted to try something new. Um, I had been in the industry for a while and I think by that point, seven years, and I was loving the day-to-day -day work of it. I, I couldn't be more thrilled to go into a theatre. I love having an audience. I love having a stage. Um, I am an absolute stage animal. I came into opera more from the performance perspective than from the musical perspective. Um, and that meant that I would love the day-to-day -day work, but I started thinking more long-term and thinking, okay, I know that there's this very logical problem solving part of my brain that I'm not really using in my day-to-day -day work as a singer. I also know that I'm an ambitious person and that I'm really big on helping other people. I know that I want to create an impact uh, in a very direct way. Uh, so I know art and culture definitely makes an impact, don't get me wrong, uh, but I feel like I wanted a more active role in that rather than just being one one piece in the machine, so to speak. So then I was thinking, okay, what can I do? Uh, I could go into uh, therapy, like vocal therapy or something along those lines. Um, and I was thinking about that, uh, but that kind of had the same problem as with opera where you kind of get to a certain level and then you're kind of just doing, you're doing the job at that level and there's not really, necessarily a lot of room for growth. And then I remembered that when I was a teenager, I used to love computers and I used to love coding and programming. And I had always kind of had it in the back of my mind that I would come back to that one day, maybe just as a hobby, like just to see if I could. Uh, but here was an opportunity to explore that in a bit more detail. Uh, I had actually won like a prize at my high school for software design and development, but I was the only girl in the class um, and, you know, I had other things I was good at where I wasn't the only girl in the class. So when it came to deciding what subjects to pursue, it made sense not to pursue that one at the time, but I was very good at it. So I thought, oh, let's just, I'll just try a little coding course online and I'll see if I'm still good at it. Maybe this was just a teenage thing, you know, where like you think you're good at it because you're a teenager and you think you're amazing at everything, but in actual fact, maybe I'm not. So let's just try it a little bit and see how I go. And it was like, how do you describe it? It was like a light suddenly turned on in my brain. And I started doing this. And I was just like, this makes sense. Everything I was reading made sense to me. Everything clicked. I was learning fast. I was learning well. Um, it just felt like everything started flowing and moving and it was like, I'm getting shivers actually. <laughs> but it was just like that moment where I went, oh, this is what I'm supposed to be doing. It was just like very clear to me. So at that point I decided to uh, actually do a one year web development course uh, because at the end of my maternity leave, I was officially registered as jobless. I was on the jobless benefit and that meant that the government would support me 
doing this course. So they basically pay for you to do a course. Um, so I started doing this course, but I found that I was actually way ahead of the other students because I'd already been doing some practice by myself. So I then became the course tutor and I was teaching the course while also doing the course and I uh, became class representative as well. And it was just like all this cool stuff kept happening. And through kind of a really weird social media thing, I ended up getting my first job before I even finished. Um, so yeah, that ended up happening. The whole thing ended up happening in one year from being like, oh, I'll just see how this goes to, oh, I'm hired <laughs> for, for, at a consulting firm. So yeah, that's, that's the story. That's how it kind of happened. <laughs> It, it's an amazing story. And I, I, there are a couple of things for me that stand out. And, and yeah. one of the things was that you said that, that you had said to yourself, what can I do? Mm. And I think where a lot of musicians get stuck is that I don't know what to do, mm. which is that to whole Carol Dweck fixed growth, mm -hmm. fixed mindset, growth mindset, is you were coming at it from a, well, what could I do? Which is a very different um, <laughs> way of being and I don't know what to do yeah yeah and so I think that's that was like that was really pivotal and I think the reason like what I can hear in what you're saying and um in the excitement in your voice is your love of learning mm -hmm. that's what got you to be that's that's what got you to where it was in your opera career yeah and I think that's what was missing when you were unhappy was if you have a freelance career as a, a singer or an instrumentalist or um you actually make very few decisions and yeah. there's no career progression, right? You you take the gigs exactly. when the phone rings and that's kind of about it. And so you'd hit this point where there was little learning, little, little learning. I mean, you know, you can always refine your craft, but yeah, in this course. really deep learning of how can I be a, a really challenge and stretch myself, which is clearly your sweet spot, um, that's where, <laughs> that's what you'd lost and that's what you were seeking. And then and how can I, and that question you asked yourself was really what can I learn? Yeah, exactly. And, and and the thing is, for me, I know that there was still a lot I could learn in music, especially because my undergraduate was not in music. It was in something completely different. So opera itself was already a career change. Well, and, no, 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 back up. Um, what was your undergraduate degree in? Uh, it was in uh, media communication, so mostly oh, and right. Spanish and Latin American studies. Uh, so I also, yeah, did an exchange in Chile and yeah, that was, and then I worked in project management for a year and then two years in digital marketing for Opera Australia. Okay, so that, so that explains why you actually took a lean startup approach to your um, coding degree was like, cause you said, cause you said, you said, what, what did I love doing before? Cause um, you know, what, what's a low cost way. So what's a, what's a lean startup I can take to this and you said I could do an online course that's low risk. And it's mm -hmm. kind of within my control. So that's where that, because I was wondering, oh, where'd you learn startup knowledge come from? Because you you had a business, a business <laughs> exposure, business um, uh, career. I, I have to say, <laughs> yeah, I, I have to say, uh, it's funny. I was having this conversation with a 22-year-old colleague of mine who is also struggling with this thing where he's, he's great at lots of different things. And I said to him, look, just do whatever feels right. Follow, follow what, like, where your passion leads you and where your, your abilities lead you because it might like seem like things you do are completely unrelated, but actually it's, it's funny how I still feel the impact of my journalism degree today. I still feel the impact of how I worked as a project manager um, 
in my day-to-day life, in how I structure my social media presence, like all of this stuff ends up playing a role and actually all led up to this point. So it's, it is funny you say that, that this idea of the, the lean startup mentality, I've never thought of it that way before, but yeah, but I think I just, you're I'm right. Trying to, I'm, like, tra- yeah. I'm, I'm typing as you're writing, I'm like, minimum viable product, that's what you did. <laughs> yes, yes. And that's, that's what we use in um, software development all the time. Yeah. MVP. We talk about MVPs all the time. Um, yeah. Like yeah, fail fast, fail early, learn and go again. That's it. That's it. Yeah, and, it's, it, it's, and it's really interesting because I think what also what I'm hearing out of your story is your the cognitive flexibility so going back to the colleague you were talking to and and that conversation with with that colleague is um they're all like spanners in the toolbox right and the idea of there being any of us knowing what we're going to be doing well we're in hard lockdown in melbourne as i speak (laughs) to you today if any of us knowing what we're doing on friday frankly is um is a bit of a moot point so this being being instead of being fixed on the pro on, on the outcome and the product is being um is if we can remain in love with the process. Yeah. So what I'm in love with is the process of being excellent and outstanding at the thing I'm doing now and and, and the way I want to be in the world, which is a learner mm-hmm. and in service to others, which is exactly what you're saying <laughs> before, then that's what, that's what drives the other things that sit in front of us that we can't see. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's just a fascinating story. And I, but what I what I wanted the point I was trying to make, sorry, was that yeah. you having had a life as you having had a self identity and a proclaimed identity as something other than an opera singer is probably helping has probably helped you on that transition yeah. because you once when you once were not and now you are and and mm-hmm. you still are in some way you're a performer. I mean that's what you do. Yeah, exactly. Um, and, and that's that's and, sorry. It's just just to go back myself a little bit there. And that's actually why I was going to say before I. I did feel like I had a lot to learn in music because I didn't have that music background, right? Music theory never clicked for me. It's funny because a lot of people say like music theory is similar to mathematics and it's very logical. I have not found that at all. I'm very good at maths. I'm very good at logic. I'm very good at programming, but music theory, it just, it has never worked for my brain and I can't tell you why, Um, but I'm definitely a performer. And for me, that, that feeling of, okay, the, the only way that this career continues is me basically doing the same thing. Uh, as you said, I can improve my craft, but I'm I'm not going to necessarily grow in a way that will make me happy long-term. So it was about short-term versus long-term. Working a desk job day-to-day is not nearly as fun. Uh, it's not nearly as exciting, but I know long-term, and so far I found this anyway, to, that for me it is, I feel like I'm moving and that's really important to me that 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 learning growth mindset that you're talking about yeah and there's like where what is the progression if you've if you've been um skilled and um worked hard enough and things have happened at the right time for you that you've built that performing career and you're paying the bills um what comes (laughs) next or also how does that fit if your life changes like you want to be at home two days a week or you know you can't travel because you've got children so it also there's there's no progression and there's no flexibility in that for you to be a different person yeah. um, because you're at the mercy of the gatekeepers, mm-hmm. you know? Uh, so yeah, it's, anyway, that's, that's a whole other podcast conversation. No, 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 it's, it's true though. <laughs> and actually, but actually some of those points are exactly why um, the government agreed to pay for my retraining because when 
because when you when you apply to have them pay for this course that you're doing right it's a, this was a one year it was supposed to be in person but of course that never happened um when you apply for it they have to kind of be convinced that you need this to find a job and one of the arguments that I made as to why I needed this was I have a kid now my husband is a performer he's already working changeable schedule working nights having to travel do tours it, it, it won't work for both of us to do that even if I am successful in finding a job in a new city in a very specific industry um, for my voice type and then pass the audition even if all of those things happen we're not in a position to properly uh, look after our kid and there's no family here either so it's not like we can just give them to the grandparents you know <laughs> so there was also a very logistical consideration to be made and aside from all of that if I'm being totally honest money is also a very big driver <laughs> and there is a lot more money in tech it might shock you to hear this Susan but there's a lot more money in tech than in music <laughs> oh that doesn't shock me at all <laughs> and I think that's that's a really I mean that's a really interesting point I've been pondering about that lately uh in most of the most of the decisions about why people, most of the reasons why the arts pays so poorly comes down to business models and management decisions. Mm. It's actually not. It's not because there's not money. Beyonce is not yeah. struggling to pay her band. Um, <laughs> so, so what what is the opportunity in front of us now to re to re-engineer the model so that the bulk of people working in the sector who are the casualized freelancers yeah. have. Uh, are actually paid properly and to educate them as to what being paid properly looks like what is and and help them articulate their values so instead of um you know i play the trumpet <laughs> um <laughs> being able to have a different story about that about the value they create and the change they make in the lives of others so it's a really big topic that i'm thinking a lot at the moment about how do we not miss the opportunity to, to really think very deeply and come up with much more equitable systems about yeah. the, the the talent, whether that's the lighting designer or the script writer or the, the mezzo, um, who have to survive on 20 weeks of income in a 52-week year, uh, how do we make that more equitable for them? It's very it's a very deep question. Um, big, big question. <laughs> big question. I don't have the answers yet, but I'm really enjoying thinking about it. Um, so, Anna, um, I really like, like to dig a little bit because one of the things that sure. I'm really loving in your story is is the process focus that, mm -hmm. you know, you clearly love learning and yeah. um, on building skills and, and how you apply and amplify those skills has been very flexible in your life. You did that through your media and comms work and then you did it through your work on a stage. Um, but specifically, what are the skills or competencies through your music experiences, through your music training, that are helping you succeed in life and in your career? So many, like so many. I, I really can't think of a part of my life that hasn't been impacted or changed because of it. Uh, I would say something I often talk about is actually the some of the, uh, well, they call it soft skills in tech, but I don't believe they're soft. I believe they're called people skills, and that's a much better way to call it, um, which is in particular imposter syndrome. And this is something tech and music have in common in a, in, to a huge degree. Yeah. So I, um, in music, I didn't feel comfortable. I was a performer. Like I came from a drama background, coming into a master's of music, which had 
people who had just finished three or four year bachelor music degrees, who had studied music history, who had studied music theory, uh, who knew how to sight sing. I didn't know any of those things. Like if you had asked me when the Baroque period was when I started my masters, I would not be able to tell you. You know, I knew nothing, right? <laughs> so I was absolutely a fish out of water, especially in my first year um, of that degree. And there were many, many tears shed. There were classes that I like, uh, especially ensemble classes. So we would be given an ensemble piece, uh, let's say from Cosi Fantute, and we would have, you know, a, a quartet. And I would go and I would spend hours sitting at piano, listening to recordings, trying to like nut out what my part was. And then we would get into that room and I'd be like, okay, I got this. I know my part. And I did not know my part. And I was not up to scratch at all. That first semester in particular was brutal. And so often I had to face this issue of, should I even be here? Do I, do I belong here? Um, of course, my voice also wasn't as developed as the others because I hadn't worked on it all that long. I didn't know about technique. You know, there were so many ways in which I was behind everyone. And then, of course, the, the actual, I mean, it, it improved a lot. Like I worked, I worked my ass off and then it improved a lot. And obviously I, I ended up being quite successful. But the in the end, this process of learning and of paying, I mean, in the end, it must have been thousands and thousands of dollars that I paid to coaches and, and teachers and, and you know, yeah, I mean, just to get their feedback and to get better at this craft. I mean, really, it's a lot of money that you put out over that time and a lot of effort and something we, well, what we often used to say about singing and what makes it different from being an instrumentalist is that your voice is such a fundamental part of who you are. Um, it is so closely tied to your emotions in, in a way that your arm is not, for example. Um, and it is very hard to isolate criticism of your voice and especially of an emotional aria, for example, where you're trying to put across your entire heart and then someone kind of stops and says, do you even know what you're saying? Do you even know what the words you're saying mean? And I heard that one you know, for a piece I worked very hard on. And they said, do you know what the words mean in this song? And I, I was like, it's very hard not to let that destroy you. Um, but all that said, it did really give me this learning mindset where I knew I have to go into every situation looking for and wanting to find the gaps in my knowledge and the things that I'm bad at because the only way I'm gonna get better is to find out what those are and then work on them consistently over time. And that is a lesson I learned from opera and it is a lesson that has helped me a lot in tech. And I hear a lot, I'm very active on Twitter. I talk to a lot of new developers um, and also the department I'm working in in Novatech is full of trainees, interns, students. A lot of people struggle with imposter syndrome in tech. And I always say to them that the key is to go into every situation with a learning mindset instead of a proving yourself mindset. If you go in there trying to prove yourself, firstly, you're gonna be inauthentic, but secondly, you're gonna be disappointed when someone in the room is better than you or when someone corrects you or when someone says, no, that's wrong, that is going to hurt you because you're going to feel like you're losing face, right? But you're not losing face, you're learning, this is good. You should go in being like, yeah, 
I know everyone in this room is better than me. This is a great opportunity for me to become better. And this is, in fact, the only way I can become better. So that's, I would say, the biggest thing from opera that I've taken into my new career. There are, as I said, there are so many. There are so many. But that is, that is the biggest one that I feel like has helped me in tech because I haven't felt that sense of imposter syndrome. And I believe that that is because of this mentality that I've carried over from the past seven years. Also, what I'm hearing is a significant amount of experiences, as you talked about, about, about not fitting, the, not, not, not looking, not being the same as everybody else. <laughs> you've had yeah. lots of, because you've had a few different things. So what, it, what I'm taking out of that is you've actually had the opportunity to build, build your ability to tolerate discomfort. That's a really great way of putting it. That's what lets us down is we can't tolerate the discomfort of learning, um, which is about, you know, error detection and correction. Um, We can't tolerate the success we see of others around us and we're we're desperate to um, to have that ourselves. Um, Mm -hmm. We can't, all these things that, that, that particularly like I'm a, a parent of teenagers and I see, <laughs> um, I, you know, I'm doing my best as a parent to, to help them understand that, that, you know, life is about digging. It's as this is what Angela, Angela Duckworth talks about with grit. Grit is passion plus perseverance over time builds grit. And the perseverance part deep in that is the ability to tolerate discomfort Yes. And in in the in the twenty five and under demographic who can't beat the psychologists behind Twitter and Instagram and TikTok and Twitch, who I mean the phone is designed to eat your mind and eat your attention <laughs> and to and to numb you from feeling stuff, right? Yeah, it's to numb you, and so they're they're kind of being so um, habited to being numb by looking at a screen when they hit something that's uncomfortable and makes them feel something, they're like, oh, holy crap. Like, no, I don't think so. Um, <laughs> and so their ability to, 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 to achieve great things, which takes time and yeah. 99 no's to the one yes you're going to get doesn't get built. And that's, that's a real concern I have. Is that's what, that's what's one of the fantastic things that you've pulled through with you and has been a gift in the being the, I don't know, person um <laughs> in, in all the different in all the different chameleon guises that you've had is you yeah. you haven't been the person who had all the right things at all the right time no oh no but, but yeah. not having that has made has 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 allowed you to leapfrog you know leapfrog yeah, yeah. much further than you probably thought you could get ahead so yeah and, that's and, and really actually, fascinating yeah and actually like just, just to add on to that if, if anything I actually worked out that it can often be a strength to be the odd one out, you know, because it does it does make you stand out, you know. In in tech, part of how I am known on Twitter, part of how I have become Twitter famous is is because I I am the dev that used to be an opera singer. You know, this is the thing that people are like, whoa, that's a huge career change. If she can do it, maybe I can do it. And I get messages from people, you know, who are chefs, you know, who are bus drivers. Someone I'm working with used to, you know, take bets at the races. You know, all these people, like, from all different walks of life who are just like, hey, is this actually possible to make a new life? And then they they see this story and such what seem on the surface to be such very different jobs and that it actually really makes them think, oh, 
this can be a thing. So that ended up, ended up being my strength. And similarly in opera, the fact that I had come from this dramatic background gave me a huge advantage. There were, I was comfortable on stage in a way that other people were not. You know, I could move in a way that other people could not. I knew a lot of the stage rules already, you know, how, how not to block people um, different power dynamics, how to improvise. These were things that I already knew and I brought in with me uh, as an advantage. And so, yeah, it is this discomfort. Yes, it is uncomfortable. Absolutely, it is uncomfortable. But it can also be a strength to have. So it, it definitely, it, that's definitely something that I, I have brought with me. Uh, admittedly, I, I think I I had some of that even when I was a kid because I was always the kid in class who would raise my hand like every two minutes to ask another question. I, I never, I never, I was never the best in the class. I, I was good, but I was never the best in the class, but I was always the one asking questions and trying to get the answers out. Um, and so I, I do feel like that's played, that's played a big role because I'm just not scared to say when I don't have no idea. If I have no idea, I just go, I just go, I have no idea. I have no idea. But also when you go circling back to where we started the, just yeah. the beginning of this section you're talking about being being new allows me to allows allows me a, a psychologically safe place for myself and from others in a room to say um, I'm new to this can you tell yeah. me why can you tell me why we're doing it which actually might be the most important question oh. anybody can ever ask yeah because they might be so far so far down the design thinking that they've forgotten to ask the question of well, who do we serve and why does this transform them? So being new in the room, um, you're, you're very, you know, it, people would expect you to ask why because yeah. <laughs> this is new to you That's and it's the, fundamentally the most important question we can ask of ourselves is why am I doing this? So that's a, and, and I also, like I love, the thing that I'm really enjoying is when you talked about how you, thought about what have I what have I done in the past that's really lit a fire in me and I loved coding mm. is that's one of the significant flaws we've got in the way that the funnel of um elite training of anything not just mm. music but sports as well is there's there's little space for anything else mm. um and also there's there's often suspicion and intolerance of things that are not what what the coaches think are in alignment with what you need to be you know, the opera singer or the tennis yeah. star. And so when, when for most elite athletes, the performance part comes to its natural conclusion, they have nothing to fall back on. They're like, well, I've been swimming, swimming drills since I was six. I've never done anything else. Whereas you're able to say, oh, what else have I done that I really loved? Mm -hmm. Oh, I loved coding. Oh, I had my media and comms degree. You know, I love, I love writing project plans. And so you've had things that you've been able to fall in love with because you did, you weren't funneled through a traditional model. And I think that's, that's true. something that's that's true. certainly that, that whether people are listening are chefs or opera singers or whatever it is they're doing is to, to reflect back on the, what have I done before that's just had me jumping up and down out of my seat with excitement and, give, <laughs> and, and finding a lean startup way to invest a bit of time <laughs> and energy in that thing, whatever that is. Um, Anna, can you tell me then just uh, what role, like are you singing? What's happening with what's happening with your chops no. right now? <laughs> no, I, I mean, I, I, it was always my plan that I would continue singing in a hobby sense, you know, like a, maybe get a teacher or sing in a local choir or something along those lines. Uh, unfortunately, uh, well, the first year that my daughter was in the world, she was a newborn and time was not exactly a luxury I had. Um, then 
COVID happened. So choirs are also pretty low priority <laughs> to reopen right now. The plan is still to do that. I, I am a performer at heart. Um, I created a YouTube channel late last year. So that's kind of using some of that performance energy uh, to talk to people about code and about my career change and uh, about finding jobs in Germany specifically because I get a lot of expats contacting me and saying, hi, I want to change careers, but Germany seems really strict in how they deal with professions. What do I do? Uh, so I decided to kind of compile all that into one big video. Uh, so, you know, I'm getting the energy out in that way. Uh, but right now my singing is restricted to the shower. And I can say that that in the last two years, the quality is not as good as it was. <laughs> the high notes are not happening as easily. But well, can, can I call you back on that? So if, if, if we if we back engineer and say ignore the quality, how does it feel? Like where is the joy on a one to ten? It's definitely still there. I mean, there's hey, definitely there still joy. <laughs> yeah, I would say like, yeah, let's say like a seven or an eight. I think I think the issue the issue is that now because my voice is becoming untrained over the years, now that I've, you know, left singing behind, my mind is still professionally trained. Yes, so unfortunately, yes. I can hear everything I'm doing wrong <laughs> as I'm doing it, uh, which is really you know, frustrating, but also uh, it does put a bit of a dampener on my enjoyment, unfortunately. And I've I found that as well, even just attending performances. I've, I've said this to my husband as well. As I said, he's also a classical singer and he's actually got perfect pitch as well. So we have this thing, we go to performances and I'm like, I'm trying, I'm trying to enjoy this as an audience member. I'm trying not to analyze it. And for him, it's a similar thing. He's like, I'm trying not to like yeah. hear like, what modulations are happening. I'm just yep. trying to like let the sound wash over me. Yep. And it's um it's definitely hard to turn off that analytical part of your brain. I find the same uh, thing, even even on a very mechanical level, like I'm a horn player and and you know, I'm like I, I'm no shade at all. Might be watching the Berlin <laughs> Phil and I'm like, and I'll have a close-up on the principal horn. I'm like, oh interesting choice. He used thumb and third goal for the D. <laughs> Uh, he must be sitting a little flat on his tuning today and, I, and, and I've lost the soul. He just played this most beautiful Brahms horn melody. I'm like, I was so focused on what fingers he was putting down. Yeah. Why would have chosen that fingering? Exactly. Uh, and exactly. just the, the analysis um, overriding just the ability to sit and connect through the music. But then I think, well, why why is my brain, in, you know, then, then that, that's a question I think of myself. It's not so much in the, like, watching stuff on the TV, but in person is yeah. why is my brain disengaged from the the emotion of the music and why is why what is going on between the performers and I that we're not connected in this moment that and that's a big that's a whole bigger question about uh yeah. you know, expression and vulnerability and risk taking and stuff that gets some um, yeah put that's to the side in, in the nature of uh chasing yeah. perfection I have to say um, um my my before we go before we go on um, my half brother um James Nightingale actually run he used to be uh, president, or I think he still is president of the Australian New Music Network. And one of the things that I love when I when I am able to come back to Australia is that he often has these concerts that either he's performing in or that he's organised or he's heard about. And they are like new Australian works very often. And funnily enough, I don't find myself doing the same thing in those environments. I mean, I still, I get, I still alarm bells go off if I hear like a voice that sounds like it's on the throat or something like that. But most of the time I'm able to just enjoy the music in those situations. I think because I'm so 
interested or distracted, let's say, by the difference of it, like that it sounds different or it's composed differently or they're using some different harmonics and that distraction manages to move me away from my analysis a little bit, which is really nice. Um, and it's been such a delight. I just wanted to ask yeah. one quick question for you before we wrap up. If anybody's listening, and particularly um, I haven't spoken to a lot of opera singers because mm. I'm, I'm yeah. an instrumentalist and primarily that's where my network sits. But um, if there's anybody listening and they're of the I don't know what else to do yeah. camp, um, either by choice or circumstance, that they're, they're um, making a change off the stage or even out of the sector. Um, any advice you have, quick advice you've got for them? Yeah, I guess uh, I'd say just explore. I think there, are, there, aren't many, there aren't many careers where you can't get a little taste test beforehand, right? Like, I don't know, just random thought, but like a carpenter, for example, you know, there are plenty of, hobby groups around that are just hobby carpentry people who do it for fun like if you're not sure if you're going to be good at it or you're not sure if you're going to like it just go and try it and and if you don't like it or you find okay you do it for a month or two and you're like eh, nah it was all right but not my thing you haven't lost anything just try something else you know <laughs> just just try things uh you can follow your hobbies or you could try to do something completely different um I think obviously I'm going to say tech is a good sector because it's growing like crazy. But if if that's not an area that interests you, uh, then so be it. But I will say there are plenty of jobs in tech that don't involve coding. So if you have other skills, that's a great industry to start looking into. Um, yeah, I don't know. Just have a, have a look around. Like really start opening your eyes. It's funny if you if you just sit on a bus and look at people and look at the stores you're passing, look at the shop fronts look at what different people are doing, what like an architecture firm, you go past an architecture firm, a law firm, and then you drive past the hairdresser and a bakery and a supermarket. Think about all the different jobs that are behind those things. It's not just a lawyer and a baker and an architect. There are a lot of other people working in those industries who are making those things happen. So have a think about it. Have a think about how different people are putting the pieces together that make our society run. And I'm sure that if you, if you sit down and think about it and try lots of things out, something will jump out at you where you go, oh, oh, I actually like that. And I think I could make an impact there. And that kind of works for me. So yeah, that's it. It's not very, it's not very structured, but that's kind of my thinking. <laughs> well, it comes back to something that you said in the, at the very beginning, which is about being curious. Yeah. So how curious and how long can you stay curious for as well? And it's been absolutely fascinating um, hearing your story. So um, if people are interested in finding, you mentioned you had a YouTube channel and a, and a very active Twitter presence. Can you just yes. give us the handles for those? Yeah, absolutely. So on YouTube, I'm Anna McDougall Developer. So you can type youtube.com slash C for channel slash Anna McDougall Developer and you'll find me. <laughs> um, and on Twitter, I'm Anna J McDougall. So, Fantastic. Yeah. And we'll, we'll put links to those in the show notes as well. Um, cool. Thank you, Anna. Thank you so much. We hope that um, as COVID restrictions ease in Leipzig, that you're able to get out and about and be curious in the world in which you live. Thank you. <laughs> uh, I was super grateful for your time and insight today. Thanks so much. Yeah. And thank you for inviting me on. It's been a pleasure. Hey, thanks for listening and for making it all the way to the end. If you've enjoyed this episode, then please help me share these stories by sharing this with others. 
You can post about it on your socials, on LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram, or you can leave me a rating and a review about this podcast. To catch all the latest from me, you can follow me on Facebook or Instagram at Notable Values. Thanks again for listening and I'll see you next time.